The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. When you have a God-centered song like Behold Our God combined with the voices of God's people, that is encouraging. And I can tell you in my time here in the last few months, your singing has gotten louder, which I appreciate. And I, I'm not just saying one of the um, biggest encouragements to my heart is to hear the church sing. And so thank you for singing out. Continue to sing out uh, as the team leads us uh, to hear your voices. What a, what a wonderful thing. So continue in that and praise the Lord together. What a, what a wonderful time of worship through singing. Let's pray. Oh God, nothing changes us like beholding you. Because when we see you, we're changed. As Paul said, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are changed from one degree to another. So Lord, I pray as we enter into a time of reading your word and hearing it preached, I pray that you will continue to show us your glory so that we can continue to be changed. Lord, you are a mighty and glorious God and you give us the privilege of knowing you and your word. So as we open your word, I pray that you will open our eyes to to see wonderful truth here. Incline our hearts. Lord, tilt our hearts toward your word Unite our minds and hearts together so that we are not distracted in this time, but we are, we are focused in on what you have for us, Lord. Push me into the background, into the backdrop. May your spirit go forward in power so that the words that are said are holy words proclaimed from holy scripture, not just a man talking, not just a people listening, but radical things are happening when your word is preached, and I pray that it will be done so in power and in truth right now. So come by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please turn in your copy of God's holy and perfect word to the gospel of John. John chapter 10, we'll begin in verse one. Sheep are known as one of the most vulnerable, helpless, defenseless, dirty, and straying of all animals. They constantly need oversight, care, protection, cleaning, guarding, or they will literally quickly die. I mean, a stray sheep is quickly a dead sheep. Let's just say they're not the smartest, not the most self-sufficient of animals. They are dependent and they are needy without a shepherd providing these things for them. They'll not make it. Often children are drawn to the more strong animals of the world. No one goes, no child goes to the zoo and runs past the lion to see the sheep. When I'm playing with my children at home, we have often been a pride of lions, a family of tigers, a pack of wolves, a group of horses. We've even been a family of pigs, but never have my children said, daddy, let's be a herd of sheep. And this translates into sports as well. 
We have the fighting Gamecocks, the roaring tigers, the thundering herd, the mighty bears, the the flying eagles, the biting dogs, the buzzing bees, but no one has ever seen the wandering, the prancing, the sleep-inducing sheep. There's a reason why mattress companies have sheep as their mascots. Well, if you didn't know, I hate to be the one to tell you that in the Bible, sheep are often used as metaphors for people, you and me. In the broad sense, all people are referred to as sheep. In the narrow sense, God's people, the church, are referred to as sheep. This may hurt our pride some, but this is an accurate representation. We are weak and needy people who need a shepherd. Left to ourselves, we walk to utter ruin and destruction. And when we put on a facade of self-sufficiency and self-reliance and self-dependence, but in the end, it is destruction. I mean, one of the first truths of salvation is we must realize and accept that there is a self-sufficient, self-dependent, self-reliant God and we are not him. But we need him. And we need him as our shepherd. In our text of study today, as we continue to study the I am sayings of Jesus, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. This is one of the most encouraging statements from Jesus. Let's see what he means by that statement. Look at John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Last week we studied what it means for Jesus to be the door of the sheep. He says, I am the door. And that means that Jesus is the only entrance into the kingdom of God. But today our focus is on the interaction between the shepherd and the sheep. Here, in this text, sheep, the ones that Jesus calls out, it's used in a narrow sense. It's referring to the people of God. It's his, his people that have trusted in him for salvation. And so if you've entered through the door of the sheep, if you've entered through Christ and you are a believer today, I hope that this text will be a great encouragement to you as we consider what it means for Jesus to be our shepherd. But if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never walked through the door of the shepherd, I hope this text will be a a sweet aroma before you. I hope it will be appealing to you as you consider all the things that Jesus can be for you if you would believe. So here we go. Characteristics of the shepherd over the sheep. Characteristics of the shepherd over the sheep. I'm not going to tell you how many because you would worry. First, he calls you by name. The shepherd calls the sheep by name. Look at verse 3. To the gate, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Believer, Jesus doesn't just know you generally, he knows you by name. Often these sheepfolds would have been shared by several shepherds. All the sheep would be mixed together from different herds, and the shepherd would come and he would call his sheep and only his sheep would come. The rest would wait until their shepherd called them. And this is what Jesus did for you. You heard at some point as a believer, you heard the gospel call go out. You heard the general call. But then you heard the specific call of the gospel. And it was specific in that the shepherd called your name. And you came. You believed. What encouragement it is that Jesus, right where you are right now, whatever your name is, Jesus knows it. Anytime that I fly, I like to look out the window and see all the big things on the ground quickly become very small things. I, mean, I see all the cars, they just become dots upon the earth. All the people are not even seen anymore. And sometimes the thought comes, 
why would this great and big God care about people on this one planet in this one galaxy that are so small and insignificant? I mean, I, I can't even see the people anymore. Why would God care about us? And then I'm reminded of the incarnation, what we specifically celebrate at Christmas, where Jesus became a baby, that God became one of us, that God was born in the likeness of people. Jesus, the Son of God, became a baby and lived lived among people. And so when I look down at all the dots, I know that God cares because God became a dot and lived among us. But do you know what encourages me even more than that? Yes, Jesus cared for us to come and live among us, but he didn't care in a general sense. Jesus cared in a particular sense. He came, he cares, and he knows your name. Jesus is a personable God. He's near to his sheep. He's a brother and a friend. He's a shepherd that knows each one by name. The first time I met one of my spiritual heroes in the faith, it meant so much to me because of this man's impact upon my life from a distance. And when I met him, he had no idea who I was. And he, he shouldn't have. We had never met. He had no idea who I was. I mean, he was, he was kind, friendly, godly. He was engaged in conversation. It was a pleasure to meet him. But if I met him again, he wouldn't remember me. This great and godly man didn't know me specifically. Believer, when you meet Jesus, the most holy of men, fully God, fully man, when you meet Jesus one day face to face, you will not have to introduce yourself. The one who made you and everything else will call you by name, he'll pull you in, he'll embrace you and say, welcome home. I was with you every step of the way. I've been waiting for you here. And he'll call you by name. He calls you out of the sheepfold and he says, this one's mine. I mean, this world is so full of loneliness And you can be encouraged today if you're a believer that with Jesus, you are never alone. He never gets distracted or too busy for you. He's always watching his sheep in the night or while you're traveling when no one else is around and you're miles away from anyone who has a clue who you are. Jesus is near and he knows you specifically by name. And he never forgets the name of one of his own. It's a good shepherd. Second, he leads you. The shepherd leads his sheep. He leads you. Look at verse 3 and 4. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Like other things in life, leadership is often 
distorted and twisted in cruel ways by sinful people. Any resistance that you have toward following leadership of someone comes from sinful pride or hurtful experiences that you've had in the past where leaders have distorted and and twisted their leadership. Sinful people hate authority and sinful leaders misuse authority. It's been distorted by both parties. But, but leadership and authority are creations of God. They're good things. Any neg- negative connotation with leadership and authority comes as a result of sin, either from the leader or from the party. But God intends for us to be led. We are people that need leadership. First by him and then by other authorities that he puts in place. And Jesus leads the sheep perfectly. He leads in such a way that you want to follow. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Leadership is never distorted by Jesus. Never twisted. Never misused. It's always executed perfectly where we receive the highest benefits of following his leadership. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 4, we hear some of the last words of King David, one of Israel's greatest kings before he dies. He gives a great lesson on leadership. He says this, 2 Samuel 23, 4, he says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the morning sun shining forth on a cloudless day, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. True leadership dawns upon man like the morning light, gently and quietly directing the attention of men. Like a steady rain that doesn't flood, but slowly makes the grass sprout and then flourish. Jesus gives us this perfect leadership. It's what we need. It's what we want. The morning dawn is restful to the soul. The steady rain is refreshing to the heart. Jesus says the shepherd leads them out and he goes before them. He has not left us wandering. He has not left you wandering. You you feel like a wandering sheep today? Jesus says he has not left you wandering. He has not left us to figure it out. He says, I'll show you the way. Follow me. Third, he gives you abundant life. Look at verse 10. He gives you abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you believe that Jesus offers eternal, abundant life to you? What does abundant life look like to you? What does your best life look like? Does your answer revolve around stuff? If I could just get this, or if I could just get that, if I could just get this point in my career, if I could just get... What does it revolve around? I mean, all people have desires, and all people desire happiness. And do you realize that we are born constantly wanting I mean, think about how your desires work. They never stop. You're always desiring something, even right now. You're always wanting. And it's it's not always bad things. There's things that are good that we want. That's not bad. But your desires are always creating new desires. Blaise Pascal made this observation long ago. Listen to what he says. 
Quote, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves, end quote. Happiness. It's what we're seeking. And so Jesus comes and says, I'll give you abundant life. And many people hear that offer and they say, no thanks. Why? Why would we ever reject abundant life? It's because it doesn't match their view of abundance, their view of happiness. Jesus' offer doesn't appeal to them. It doesn't look abundant to them. It looks boring to them, quite frankly. I mean, they hear Jesus say things like, take up your cross and die and deny yourself. And that sounds awful to them because denying yourself doesn't sound like abundant life. I mean, they can indulge themselves in their stuff and they'll be happy. So they think. I mean, why would I take the offer of Jesus? I mean, is it true? Does Jesus offer abundant life or is he overselling his product? Are man's desires for the world so strong? Are our desires for the world's pleasure so strong that Jesus' gifts aren't really good enough? And so he's just kind of naive and saying, I'll give you abundant life. And we say, look at all our stuff, Jesus. We have abundant life. C.S. Lewis offers help at this point. This was staggering to me when I read this many years ago. Listen closely to what C.S. Lewis says. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Listen, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, end quote. I mean, what a statement. We are far too easily pleased. Pleasure is not the problem. What we find pleasure in is, and we settle far too easily. That's the problem. Jesus' gifts aren't weak and boring compared to the world's. Instead, we have just settled as man. We have just settled for fleeting pleasures. Jesus comes and says, come to the feast. And we say, I'd rather keep eating my cotton candy. Jesus says, come and play in the palace. And we say, I'm busy at the slum right now. John Piper writes, the problem is not the desire for happiness, but that we settle for mud pies when we're promised paradise. The abundant life that Jesus offers is not what the world expects, but it's the satisfaction the world could only dream of. It's not what the world expects, but it's what the world is trying to find in everything else. 
I mean, imagine a life, imagine your life of happiness and contentment being tied only to Jesus. So you're happy and you're content in life and it's only tied to him. A life of joy, peace, hope, contentment, not tied to any stuff. I mean, wouldn't that be freeing if we could just be happy in Jesus? And that's the abundant life Jesus offers. It's the abundant life he gives to the sheep. And listen, this doesn't come easy. I mean, it's a battle every single day. Starts as soon as you wake up in the morning. As soon as you open your eyes. It's a fight to go back to the living streams of water instead of going to play in the slums. It is a battle. And Jesus gives us taste of this abundant life now in appetizing measures. But one day the fight will be over and we will experience it for all eternity. Psalm 1611 says, In God's presence there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are far too easily pleased. Don't settle for fleeting pleasures when you can have eternal pleasure. Fullness of joy. Abundant life. He gives us abundant life. Fourth, he gives his life for you. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A shepherd's always on the lookout for prowling animals that he has to fend off. Lions and bears and wolves will fight and attack the sheep if the shepherd is not there protecting. And Jesus says that not only does he protect the sheep, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the pack of wolves come, he starts fighting them off, but eventually more and more come and attack, and the good shepherd stays behind while the sheep escape to safety. This is how a shepherd is different from a hired hand. Look at verse 12 through 15. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. And he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus does not run in fear like a hired hand. Jesus will never run in fear from you and protecting you like a hired hand. The hired hand's just there collecting a paycheck. Jesus shows up to give his life at the highest cost. This is what we celebrate when we do celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Jesus instituted this practice for the church to continue until he returns. He put it in place so that we would remember the sacrifice that he made for us. I mean, Jesus literally gave his life for the sheep. We were trapped in sin and the, ensnared by the evil one. We were bound, headed toward destiny and destruction and eternal death where we would receive the rightful and just wrath of God. The shepherd stepped in. He laid down his life so that we could escape free. When we take the bread today, we remember the body of Christ given on our behalf. When we drink the cup, we remember that the blood of Jesus was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. When we remember his sacrifice, we remember that Jesus says, I lay down my life because I care 
for the sheep. So as you take the bread today, you take the cup today, remember the most loving, caring act ever given for you. Let this image be in mind when you take today. There was a day that we ran free and the shepherd stayed behind and was torn apart by the wolves, trampled by the lions, brutally beaten and killed, blood shed, and we ran to freedom. He's good because he cares, cares so much that he's willing to die for the sheep. Fifth, he intimately knows you. The shepherd knows his sheep. Look at verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Believer, be encouraged today that Jesus doesn't just know of you. Jesus knows you. Personally and intimately. You're not just an acquaintance to him. You're not just part of a group that he's roped in. He, know, he doesn't just know your name but not much about you. No, he knows your name and he knows you on a deep and personal level. Notice he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I mean, think about how intimate and close the relationship is between the, God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus says, he knows you personally like that. He knows you're good and you're bad. He knows you're pretty and ugly. He knows your strengths and weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hidden anxieties. He knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than you know yourself. having four kids, I know each of them and their different makeups. I know Lincoln loves tickling. I know Delaney absolutely hates it. I know Evangeline Grace wakes up grumpy from her nap. I know Lincoln doesn't. And I know Delaney's never getting even close to a nap. This past week, I took the three oldest to get flu shots. And I knew Lincoln and Evangeline Grace would just be a walk in the park. And I knew Delaney would cry all the way there. And she did. I asked her if I could share that this morning before I did. Each one of them made differently. Each one uniquely wired. But I know them. But I don't know them like Jesus knows them. Believer, Jesus knows you in every way like no one else does. This is what foreknowledge means often in the Bible. I mean, this is often a forgotten link in the chain of salvation. What does a verse like Romans 8, 29 mean when it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son? What does it mean that he foreknew? It means, believer, that before you were born, God foreknew you, meaning before you were even known in this world, God knew you Intimately. Everything about you. He knew you before you even knew yourself. Jesus didn't just meet you in history. He knew you before history. Jesus knows his sheep even before they're born. Listen, Jesus didn't just die on a cross hoping that an unknown group of people would believe in him one day. He knew his sheep. Listen, to, I love how Paul Tripp puts it concerning Jesus' crucifixion. He says, he didn't, just he didn't just purchase savability. He took names to the cross. Isn't it encouraging? If you're a believer today, he took names to the cross. If you have never trusted in Jesus, he's calling you to repent and believe and you will be saved. 
He knows you. You never have to feel alone. You never have to feel secluded, hopeless. You never have to say, you know what? Nobody gets it. Nobody understands me. I wish someone would get it. Jesus gets you. Every strand of DNA, Jesus gets it. Every day, every moment. Sixth, he knows you intimately. Sixth, he welcomes all types of people. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus was speaking to Jews in this context. The other sheep that he's saying, I must bring with me, that's Gentiles. That's me and you. He says, I have sheep that are part of Israel and I have sheep who aren't Jew that I must call in as well. And this would have been eye-opening for the Jews. I mean, they considered themselves as the high people of God. And in one sense, they were. But Jesus is teaching here that final salvation, final salvific history includes all types of people. Not just Jews, not just Americans, all types of people. In Revelation 5, we were given a picture of what eternity of God with God will look like. And we're given a picture of who's going to be standing there. And Revelation 5, 9 says this, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From where? Who is it he ransomed? From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Both heaven and hell will be filled one day with diverse people from every tribe, language, tongue, and people group. There is no room for discrimination among the people of God. God does not have a race preference or a nation favorite. God's family is as diverse as the people groups of the nations are. And this is why we commit ourselves to global missions. I mean, it's because we believe Revelation 5. That God has saved people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And we have confidence to go to them because we believe that God has people from every nation. We believe that God has sheep there. And as we go and we proclaim the gospel, the sheep are going to hear his voice and they're going to come. Global missions guarantees discomfort. Global missions guarantees dangers. Global missions guarantees frightening circumstances. Global missions guarantees sacrifice but global missions guarantee success because God's sheep will hear his voice and they will follow therefore global missions is absolutely necessary absolutely essential and therefore we go because they're sheep and they need to be called one flock one shepherd all types of sheep we're almost done seventh He gives you eternal life. The shepherd gives you eternal life. Look at verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I mean, besides gaining Jesus himself, this is the great gift of Christianity. This is what all the world religions are chasing. What happens after we die? I mean, everyone's chasing how we can prolong this life and then how we can make it in the next. Everybody wants this great gift of eternal life. And Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life. It's a gift. What a wonderful present from God. 
I mean, if you simplify life down to the core and you ask, ask, what's the worst thing that can happen to me in this life? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to you today? What's the worst thing? You could die. Death, it's over. No second chances. You die. We know this. It's, it's, it's done. Jesus says, in that moment of death, You live. I mean, seriously, don't be numb to that. Like we know, we talk about eternal life a lot as Christians. Don't be numb to the fact that Jesus says, when you die, the moment of your death, you live. I mean, Jesus takes Satan's greatest weapon of death that he threatens us with and he puts fear in us with, and he says, as soon as it happens, you live. So believers, we do not have to fear death. I mean, death is just a door into everlasting joy. Death is just a transition. It is not final. It's not, it's, it's not the end all. It's the finish line. The race is over. The struggle is complete. The hard work's finished. Their pain is no more. Listen, your believing loved ones who have died before you, they're not dead. They are living to the fullest, not dead, in the fullest happiness and most joyful life possible right now, alive. I mean, today, your wife is not dead. Believer, your husband is not dead. Your teenager that you lost in this life, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not dead. Your precious baby that you got to spend just a few moments with, it's not dead. She has been taken care of better than she ever could have here. In the presence of God, completely happy, full of joy, this is the gift Jesus gives to his sheep. Says, I give them eternal life, they'll never perish. It's just a door. Why would we ever fear it? Eighth and finally, final point. He keeps you forever. The shepherd keeps the sheep with him forever. Look at verse 28. Gives them eternal life, they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me to me them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus describes everyone who's trusting in him as being clenched in his hand and then he says they're clenched in the Father's hand. Never to be lost, never to be snatched away. So my kids like playing a game where I'll clench something in my fist and they do all, anything necessary with all their might trying to pry my hand open to get whatever and so far they haven't been able to but I know one day that probably Lincoln in particular will get to a point where he'll be able to pry my fingers open and overpower his dad Jesus says that'll never happen with him he has you in his hand he says no power no force no person no combination of evils will be able to snatch you from his hand and he says God is greater than all no one's taken you out of the father's hand and someone will say well that's great no one's going to take me out of the father's hand but what if I walk away I mean what if I remove myself from his hand 
What about the, what, what about the wanderer? <laughs> that's what sheep do. They wander. And that's why we need a shepherd to pull us in closely. I mean, Jesus has a big hand and sheep are constantly kind of wandering to the side and Jesus is always pulling us back to the center of his hand. It's the good shepherd. He even alludes in Luke 15 to the one wandering sheep goes away and what happens? He leaves the other sheep and he goes and finds the one drifter. Believer, if, if you're truly in Christ, Christ will keep you there all the benefits that you've heard of the good shepherd are guaranteed yours because God will keep you there. Certainly we must work in growing in our godliness, but the Bible teaches that God even works in us as we work out our sanctification. Your eternal security is not dependent upon you keeping yourself in the Father's hand. Your eternal security is dependent upon the Father keeping you in his hand. It's not about our strength, it's about his. John MacArthur said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, absolutely sure, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus keeps his sheep forever. And so as we close, I, just, I, want, I want these truths to wash over you. I want you to consider all that Jesus is for us in the good shepherd. Believers, consider why he's a good shepherd. Consider this and let it impress upon your heart. He calls you by name. He leads you every day. He gives you abundant life. He lays down his life for you. He intimately knows you. He welcomes all. He gives you eternal life. And he keeps you forever. What a good, gracious shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Christ to be our good shepherd. Thank you for all the benefits that we have in Christ. Help us to walk in the footsteps of our shepherd. Right now, Spirit, I pray that you, that you would bring others into your flock and save and encourage wandering sheep, pull them back, welcome them home. Thank you for laying down your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to enter into a time of communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper that I spoke about briefly in the sermon where we remember where the shepherd gave his life for the sheep. So I want to invite 
the deacons to go ahead and come forward and, and take your seat here in the front. This is a, a time where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. The, be, the bread represents the body of Christ given for us. And the cup represents the blood of Christ given so that we would have our sin forgiven. I would ask that as the elements are distributed among you that you hold your element and we'll take them all together at the same time as a church. I would also ask that this time be reserved only for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and good standing with the local church. If you have not yet believed, if you have not yet put your faith in Christ, you have not professed that, the call for you today is to trust in Jesus. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. I'm going to be around after we take these elements. I'm going to be in the foyer. I'm going to find me and talk to me about what it means to follow Christ. But if you are a believer in good standing with the local church, I invite you to take with us and remember, if you're a visitor with us and you're a, a believing visitor in good standing with a, a church, even, in, even if you're in transition, I, I invite you to take with us and celebrate as one body of Christ. And remember the image of the shepherd who was left behind. And we escape to freedom. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.